mobile phones, laptops, tablets, and everything in between. This is Sean and Sean, and you're listening to the Silicon Theory Podcast. Greetings, fellow tech seekers. Sean from Silicon Theory here, and this is the Silicon Theory Podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and pretty much anything with the word cast in its name. With me today for a special bonus episode, Rumor and News Roundup for February, is Sean P. Say hello, Sean P. Guys, what's going on? So we recently dropped an episode covering the preview of the Samsung Galaxy Unpacked event coming up on February 11th. So if you haven't already listened to that show, make sure you head on over to our channel and check that out. But we did have some additional content that we wanted to bring you in terms of the news and a few rumors that have come out recently that are pretty interesting in the tech space. So we'll talk a little bit about what OnePlus has uh, in line apparently for their OnePlus 8 and OnePlus 8 Pro devices. We'll talk a little bit about some of the rumors and a um, Microsoft Duo being caught in the wild. We'll talk a little bit about what LG might be doing with their V60 product, which um, as you know, we've had a chance to get some hands-on with LG products in the past and have enjoyed some things about them and just wish that LG would do a few things different. So we'll talk about whether or not they've accomplished that or not. And then we'll talk a little bit about the Moto Razr being out in stores for the first time and the rumors about them maybe jumping into the flagship game again. So let's um, let's start off with uh, a phone manufacturer that is near and dear to both of our hearts because we both own one of those phones right now and OnePlus. What, um, what does OnePlus look like that they've got up their sleeve for the OnePlus 8 and 8 Pro, Sean? It looks like OnePlus is actually going to release not one, not two. Not one, not two, but, but three OnePlus 8 products. There's going to be a OnePlus 8 Pro, a OnePlus 8, and a OnePlus 8 Lite. Now, whether those all release in all markets is a little unclear at this point. They haven't done a white phone since the OnePlus X, which was, gosh, back in 2000. It was a while ago. It was in between 14? the OnePlus 2 and the OnePlus 3, right? Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. So, you know, look, OnePlus has been picking up, I think, a fair amount of market share. They've gotten a foothold in the United States a little bit. They now are on T-Mobile. Uh, as Sean said, we both have OnePlus phones, as does my brother. So there, there's a fair amount of us rolling around. And I think they've really gotten by on a combination of as phones have kind of uh, gone, there's like budget phones, and then we have this ultra premium segment. I think OnePlus is trying to fill that more middle ground. Um, and so they've kind of got a foothold in that like 600 to $800 price range, which used to be flagship, which but is now like mid-range flagship? Yeah, uh, mid-premium maybe? Um, so what it looks like they're up to is a couple things. Uh, first of all, they're going to release earlier. Uh, the rumors have them releasing these phones in late March or April. Traditionally, I think they've been more of a May-June for their first uh, phone of the year. So yeah. uh, maybe this is a way to kind of compete more directly with Samsung as far as timing is concerned. Perhaps. Yeah, because Samsung typically does launch around that same time, usually somewhere in the middle of March. Their unpacked event is going to be here in a couple of days as we record this. It's scheduled for February 11th, and generally there's about a three-week lag time or two-and-a-half-week lag lag time between when the announcement comes and when those phones start shipping for pre-orders. So yeah, I mean, definitely in terms of timing, Samsung generally owns this first part of the year. And it sounds like maybe OnePlus wants to uh, get in on the action. Yeah. And then as far as the looks are concerned, um, they are joining everyone else and they are going to have uh, a hole punched AMOLED screen. So last year, the 7 uh, Pro, the 7T, no, the 7 Pro and the 7T, Pro T, 7T Pro, 7T Pro, had the pop-up cameras, Easy which, was, which was kind of novel, so it didn't have a notch or a uh, hole punch. Um, the 7T, on the other hand, had a very tiny notch at the top. Uh, it looks like this year, now that the exclusivity of Samsung having hole punch AMOLEDs has expired, OnePlus will be joining virtually everyone else and will be having a, a hole punch AMOLED screen. From what we've seen in leaks, the hole punch is going to be in the upper left-hand corner. Um, the thought behind this is this, that OnePlus may finally have an IP rating this year because now that they don't have the moving part and the camera that's coming out of the top, um, they could conceivably now have the uh, water resistance and dust resistance that they didn't uh, officially have in their other models. Um, and also, maybe even, 
Wireless charging. Uh, actually, almost assuredly wireless charging. They've added themselves to the wireless charging consortium, and we've seen leaks from multiple people indicating that they will indeed uh, have wireless charging. I think this is a great benefit for a lot of people, even though, as you and I both know, um, OnePlus's uh, warp charge technology is actually amongst the best in the business. It's really, really fast. It does have a tendency to not be as warm as other chargers because it's keeping most of the heat transfer in the brick itself and it doesn't make its way to your phone. So if you're a gamer, you can game while you're still plugged in, which is really awesome. And I think in general, wired charging just is kind of a better solution overall for more, pe more people than wireless charging. But throwing it in the phone, I think is definitely a good idea because I think it just gives you one less thing to nitpick when you're talking about in that kind of mid-range or freemium or mid-tier premium space. It takes away some of the biggest complaints and concerns and things that might drive people to higher end phones, which would include a, an official IP rating as well as wireless charging. Well, and look, they used to have metal backs, which a lot of people preferred for durability versus glass, but Samsung, LG, Apple, they all moved to glass backs because for wireless charging, you yeah, can't do it with metal. It. it has to be glass. Yep. OnePlus followed suit in one glass, but then didn't add wireless charging. So it's like, why do it? Either have metal backs that's more durable and kind of differentiate yourself or have glass and wireless charging. It hasn't really made much sense to have glass and no wireless charging. So it's nice to see them added because it's definitely a value add as far as, look, their warp charging is great, but being able to just have a wireless charger next to your bed and toss it on is pretty nice. So I, I'm all in favor of end users having the option, and uh, I'm kind of excited to see them go that way. Hard agree here. Um, as far, again, as like looks are concerned, I would say both the OnePlus 8 based off of leaks and the OnePlus 8 Pro look pretty much like the OnePlus 7 Pro, just with a little tiny camera in the upper left-hand corner. They both have curved screens, which actually will probably make a lot of people not that happy. Um, the 7 and the 7T both had flat screens, which were kind of nice, um, but it looks like they're going all in on curved screens, except for the light, which will have a flat screen from what I can tell. Yeah, as a OnePlus 7T owner and a OnePlus 6T owner prior to that, I can tell you that my personal preference is definitely for the flat display. It makes things like getting a tempered glass screen protector on much easier. There are a number of different kind of, I guess, aesthetic advantages for me. So like when you slap a case on it, you don't have to allow for that curved display, whether it's, you know, like a two and a half D or a full true curved display, whatever it ends up being. It, it, to me, it's just it's just a much nicer experience when you're swiping. You get fewer accidental side presses or palm rejections, and it just it's for me the 7T is pretty close to a, a terrific and perfect phone. Now, does it have an official IP rating? No. Does it have wireless charging? No. Does it have a hole punch instead of kind of like that teardrop style notch on it? Yes, it does. So there are some things that I like better about these rumors around the OnePlus 8, but. For my money, the OnePlus 6T, the OnePlus 7, and 7T are, are better phones, at least for my personal preference. I know that there are some who also prefer that, but the OnePlus 7 Pro, even with its curved display, is a great device. And I think if they're using that as the platform to launch some of these new phones, I think people are really going to like them. So yeah, as far as looks, I actually think it's a step back a little bit for me. I prefer the no-hole punch with the uh, you know camera that pops out of the top like I have in my 7 Pro. But... It would be nice to have an IP rating. Um, specs, it's going to have the latest and greatest, Snapdragon 865. Uh, the McLaren Edition 7T Pro on T-Mobile already has 5G, so we're presuming that these will probably have 5G as well. Um, you're looking at between 6 and 12 gig of RAM, kind of as usual. Um, cameras, the, the setups on the back are pretty much the same as they were this year. It's a triple camera. We're not positive what the hardware is going to be yet. There's some rumors that say could use the 108 megapixel sensor that Samsung recently launched, at least in the 8T, 8 Pro, excuse me. But we don't, we just don't really know yet. Um, one thing we do know though is that these will be 120 hertz screens. So last year, OnePlus was kind of the really, I think, the, the main pusher of the high-resolution screens at first, especially in the United States. I'd agree. Um, so the, you know, both the 7 Pro and the 7T Pro uh, and the 7T all had 90 hertz screens. Um, it's interesting. You see a lot of people saying you can't really tell the difference, and I'm like, I don't see how you possibly couldn't tell the difference. It's night and day for me. Uh, so they're pushing even further. They're going to have 120 hertz screens in their next-generation phones, and uh, as opposed to Samsung that is either letting you do full resolution at 60 hertz or 1080p at 120 hertz, uh, OnePlus has gone on record as saying they will let you do 120 hertz at full resolution. 
there may be a battery hit almost certainly as a result of this, but I actually think that they may end up having kind of the nicest screens on the market by virtue of that, although we'll, we'll see. It, it does remain to be seen, but I'll tell you what I do know. Um, as I mentioned, I went from a OnePlus 6T to a OnePlus 7T. The two primary drivers behind this change for me were the form factor because the 20 by 9 aspect ratio is a little bit narrower, makes it a little bit easier in terms of functionality and holding it in my hand. The 6T was kind of short and wide and the 7T is skinnier and taller and I definitely prefer the latter form factor. The other thing was the 90 hertz display. I took my 6T, which I was super happy with, 8 gigs of RAM, 128 gigs of storage, nothing wrong with it, great display, great panel. The panel on the 6T actually smashed the panel on my one or on my Pixel 3, which really kind of made me sad because as if you're a longtime listener of the show, you know I'm a huge Pixel fanboy, but the software experiences now are much more on par, reaching greater parity with the Google Pixel software experience. And so the 6T is just a better value proposition all the way around, especially we can get the Gcam port on it. So I wandered into a T-Mobile store one day, wanted to take a look at the 90 hertz panel on the 7T. I spent five minutes with it and I said, I have to have this phone. 90 hertz is one of those things that if you think you can't tell the difference in person, you're just straight up wrong. Now, again, as content creators, YouTubers, tech enthusiasts, and tech outlets try and convey this to you in terms of talking, in terms of like our podcast, or in terms of video content, It is a little hard to discern, but let me tell you something. I can tell you from personal experience, holding these phones side by side in my hands and using them, there's almost no way I can imagine going back to a 60 hertz panel. That's how good it is. And somehow, some way, OnePlus is able to get high quality 1080p and quad HD resolution panels. The panel on my 7T is fantastic and the brightness levels on it are unbelievable. You could actually, likely, signal a spaceship in outer space using the display on this thing at full brightness. And the OnePlus 7 Pro panel is quad HD and it's every bit as good. You've had yours for a while now. I've had mine for a little while now. I think maybe other than Samsung's, they have some of the best panels in the business. Would you agree? They're using Samsung panels. So yes. And the fact that this is 90 Hertz or 60 Hertz on the Samsung panels from last year, I, you know, I had my one plus seven pro up against my friends. Note 10 pro or plus, excuse me, pro plus ultra Jesus. Yeah, you it's guys. hard to keep track. Um, max, whatever the hell. Um, <laughs> And I definitely prefer my panel with a 90 hertz over his at 60 hertz. Um, so, yeah, I, I think they're right up there. Look, OnePlus, I think value for money are probably the best Android phones on the market. They do, they're the fastest phones that I've ever used. I actually like their gestures better than Google's. Um, their, heart, their software is better. I think Oxygen OS is the best software of any of the Android OEMs that I've used, and that includes the Pixel one. But where they lag always is cameras. Their cameras are not bad. Their cameras are just fine. Um, for me, you know, it's been more than enough. I took my OnePlus 7 Pro on vacation to Italy this last summer and used the ultra wide and the normal or whatever and got great pictures and don't really have too many complaints about it. But there's just no, there's no denying that compared to Samsung, Apple, and Google, their pictures are not as good. And this is the area that they need to address because if they address that area and they can even get in that upper echelon, they don't have to beat them, but they have to be, you know, really truly comparable. Then, you know, if they actually have IP68 certification this year and everything, yep. they, they re- yep. and wireless charging, they aren't missing anything. It's like at that point, you can compare it literally head to head against these Samsungs. Apples and Googles of the world, and for the price, I think it would win. Software, I think it would win. Um, so that's it. it. It's that's really the last thing that they need to master. And I know they're spending a lot of time, energy, and effort on this with their next devices. They've said as much that that's where their their energy is devoted to, and that's the right call because that's it. That's what they're missing. And if they get that, you know, they're starting to get a foothold. They're selling phones, and if they can get in with more carriers, it's like those other guys should be a little bit concerned because. Really, I I don't I, I would recommend for most people the OnePlus over the Pixels. Like the Pixel fours were really disappointing, and I think OnePlus the seventeen and the seven Pro were better phones. I think you're right. I think the value proposition in OnePlus now is greater than it's ever been. I think you're getting literally top of the end, top high end specs 
for not top high-end prices and agreed. The thing that encourages me about the OnePlus phones is that it's clearly a software-related issue. The hardware is not necessarily the bottleneck here because if you install the Gcam port, the Pixel camera port on any OnePlus device that's using a certain Snapdragon series and above processor, you get superior images using the same hardware. I have the Gcam port on my OnePlus 7T. When I want a standard good quality image, I use that. And then if I want to record good video or take a wide angle or telephoto photo, I use the OnePlus stock camera. It's not bad, but there is a noticeable difference when you use the Gcam camera to take those pictures and the software processing is clear the difference. So if OnePlus can get their engineering and R&D folks behind a higher quality image processing bit of software for their camera app, you're going to have a hard time convincing even me, a Pixel fanboy, that a Pixel is a better deal or a better value over these OnePlus phones. And I think that speaks to and we're getting into the eighth kind of successive generation of OnePlus as an OEM, I think that speaks to how far they've come in relatively a short period of time. It wasn't that long ago we were smashing on OnePlus for their terrible invite system and their kind of tone-deaf approach to how they were selling their phones in terms of marketing. And now it's really a great enthusiast market, whether you just want as a consumer a good value for your five, six, seven hundred dollars or if you're a really big tech enthusiast and you have to have the latest and greatest and fastest, like you're really looking at OnePlus devices. They've, as we've talked about before, kind of taken over that nexus spot in terms of you're getting really good value and really good specs for a relatively low price. And if the rumors are true with these OnePlus 8 devices, I think that's going to bear out and prove even more of an enticing buy for buyers as we head into this kind of uh, late first quarter, early second quarter margin. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. If they fix the cameras, I think they would literally be the second choice Android OEM only behind Samsung as far as like size and whatnot for me. Like just think about that. They passed Motorola, HTC and LG within like a five year span. So, um, they're, they're damn close. They just need to fix that camera, which again is not terrible, but just not great. And other than that, it's, I've thoroughly enjoyed using my seven pro. No regrets about switching. Absolutely. So as we've talked about, you're using the OnePlus seven pro right now. We've talked about what people should buy for their next phone. I know that a phone that you have considered for your next phone is the Microsoft Surface Duo. What information did we get about seeing it in the wild recently? Yeah, it's kind of cool. So we've seen, we saw Microsoft show this in their, you know, setting with their uh, conference, uh, but we haven't seen it necessarily out much in the wild yet. And this was out in the wild and it was uh, a Microsoft employee with a Surface Duo on a train um, showing a girl. So it's probably some guy trying to impress a girl. Of course, this is where the leaks come from. Most of the tech um, leaks and, in the world and, are trying uh, to impress a girl. Which cracked me up. It was great. And um, someone on the subway quickly or train quickly realized what was going on and videotaped the encounter. And uh, the person who had the device was showing the other person all of the use cases and kind of the software and what it could do. Um, this prototype had a camera and flash on the inside, which was something that the version that Microsoft showed um, at their conference didn't have. So it looks like it's only going to have one camera. This unfolds like a book and the camera will be on the right hand side panel. And so if you want to take pictures, you would have to unfold it kind of all the way and and that would be on the back, which I have some questions about how that would work. Um, But I will say... Really, the intriguing thing about the Duo is how much energy and effort Microsoft is spending with Google on software because that's something where foldables and even Android tablets really lacked. Android tablets never really had good software, which is why they died a, a painful death. How dare you, sir? Um, but how dare you? Really, um, Microsoft has showed up showed off a full concept of all of the ways the software would work, how various applications would handle the dual screens, how the screens would work together sometimes and act independently in other use cases. And, you know, watching the person use it on the train, it really kind of showed, uh, as he was going through the different things, how they're implementing this. And that could be really the huge advantage for them. Microsoft does a really good job with software and even though the form factor, you know, it has relatively large bezels, unfortunately, and I see a lot of people talking about how it looks a little bit, the hardware does not look cutting edge. Um, I think it has a lot of things going for it, namely the software, the fact that it's using glass on the panel, so it's not going to be nearly as fragile as something like the Fold. 
And also, you know, it's thin. When the person in this video closes it and puts it in their lap, it is a much thinner device than something like the Fold once again because it folds completely flat. And it looks really sleek. It's a nice piece of hardware. There's also some thought that maybe you will be able to dock this, you know, similar to what Samsung's wanted to do with DeX, but it'll be a Microsoft version where you have a more fully fleshed out software experience. And so, look, I... I think this is going to be very first generation when it comes out. I have some real concerns about how good the camera is going to be. I don't like the fact that I'm going to have to unfold it every time I want to take a phone call or take pictures. All of those are kind of mildly annoying things that I think the the fold actually handles better. But I think that Microsoft is clearly focusing a ton on the software, so I'm excited to see what they've done with that. And also, again, just from a you know being able to slip this in your pocket, it's going to be very thin. The software, the hardware looks very sleek and well thought out in a lot of other ways. It folds completely flat, and the fact that it's glass will make it so that it's a lot less uh, fragile than the fold. So taking all those things into consideration, I don't know, it's, it's a really interesting piece of hardware. It's on my radar um, as something that I might be interested actually in buying. If I don't end up buying a fold too, it would also be on my radar. And I don't know. It's unique and interesting, although very first generation. Agreed. And I think that when um, Panos Panay from Microsoft gets up and he starts talking about, like, this was kind of Microsoft's, oh, and one more thing, kind of a la Apple. And I don't think many people saw it coming. One, because you're right. It is not running a Microsoft software. It is running Google's Android. And unlike some of the other foldables that we've already discussed, it is not... It's definitely two different screens. And so that's going to take a little bit of work in terms of Android working with Microsoft to make sure that it works seamlessly because that's going to be one of the key selling points of this device. It's not like the Fold or the Z Flip or the Razer where it's in effect one panel that's just kind of sandwiched shut. This is actually separated and two completely separate panels. So that's kind of a different thing. But the fact that Microsoft is working with Google to make sure that Android is optimized for this kind of experience is really exciting. I agree the hardware seems to be kind of where Microsoft is focusing a ton of its energies. And if you know anything about the Surface line of products, they got really good at hardware really fast. And their um, their hinge teams and their other hardware teams that are bringing over their expertise from like the laptop, the laptop and the tablet form factors are, are really exciting to see that in kind of a mobile form factor. So the use cases, um, you know, again, we've already kind of talked about like, you know, whether or not you're going to have to kind of completely flip it around 360 in order to take some pictures or take selfies is, you know, remains to be seen. It, it is interesting and I think it has the potential to be one of the best foldable style devices that's out there. But Microsoft has a lot to prove. And they're, they're going to have to come correct with this. And they're going to have to get a lot right on the first try in order to convince people to buy it. One, we know it's going to be expensive. It's going to be Galaxy Fold levels of expensive. Actually. Really? They said not. They said it's going to be affordable. And that's probably relatively speaking. But... I would be pretty shocked if this costs more than $1,500. I bet it'll be, like, a lot of people are actually theorizing it'll be between $1,000 and $1,200. And if it comes in in that price range, again, it depends on, I guess, what's the market for this, right? So, like, it supports the Surface Pen, so that could be really handy. But if you're, this seems like it's geared towards professionals, right? It may have a docking mode. It's something you can use for productivity. Yeah, kind of. But, but the issue for me is... It's going to have to somehow be better than things that exist now. So if you want something large, you get an iPad Pro that has a pen and pencil and you use that. Or if you want a phone, like I guess the Note's kind of the gold standard for, for this if you want yeah. to use a pen. Um, Power and, users. And yeah. this is going to have to like straddle that in between somehow. It, it's going to have to prove that it, you know, it's useful because it's not as big as an iPad so you can carry it around with you, but you can still use the phone and you can dock it with something which is something the iPad can't do and it can do all these productivity things and it integrates really nicely with Microsoft products and they also work with Google and it's a good software experience. That's a lot of boxes to check and even if you do all of that, I still feel like the market for that may be relatively like moderate to minimal maybe even. Niche like This small, isn't a huge yeah. market, but it is interesting and it's something that doesn't exist and kind of the... You know, I'm of the opinion that eventually you will have a device more than likely. You'll like you'll probably have something that will have one fold and you'll use it as a phone and you can unfold it in like a trifold and it'll be a tablet and then you can dock it and use it as a computer. I, I don't know. I just have a feeling that eventually we'll get to that point. And this is kind of like a step towards that perhaps. But 
again, we already have the Surface, we already have the iPad Pro, and we already have like the Note if you want a phone. It's like, is it gonna be some combination of the three? That's the part that I'm not quite clear on yet. But if it can do all of those things well, this may be something that professionals would be interested in. Maybe, and I'll say this. I'll go on record in saying is if it's $1,200 or less, I'll freaking buy one because I don't believe for a second that Microsoft is gonna be able to pump these out in any quantity at that price point. But why? I mean, it's not this. if you wanna think about it, it's like, what, what part of this is really that much? So it has fewer cameras than a traditional phone, it only has one. It has two screens, but the screens are covered in glass. It's not foldable. These are these are pretty traditional screens. And then everything else is a pretty normal smartphone. I think the amount of R&D that's going to have to go into it to produce it is going to have a high dollar cost that's associated with it. It comes with Microsoft Surface branding, and their Surface line typically has been premium priced over all of the years, including the new Surface Pro X, which they just recently announced, as well as the Surface Book and the Surface Laptop. And this is a first generation device. I think they're going to price it according to the market. Again, we've talked a little bit about the premium segment and the business segment being their target demo. And I think those people aren't going to care so much about the pricing, a la Apple's like incredibly expensive pro display XDR that has a thousand dollar stand. Like they're like, Hey, the people that are going to buy it aren't going to give a shit how much it costs. They're just going to pay whatever number we attach to it. So I think that all of those things add up to me that, and I don't think it's going to be a huge jump because I don't think they'll sell it if it's $2,000, but I think we're really looking at much more of a $1,400, $1,500 price tag than somewhere between $999 and $1,199. And that's I, that's me personally. I can agree with that, but I don't think it's going to touch $2,000. Like, I don't think... I think it'll be... Fair. I, I would... So I'll go on record saying I'll be pretty surprised if it's over $1,500. I would take the under over $1,500. But anything between $1,000 and $1,500, I think it's a crapshoot at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess we'll see. But $1,200 seems theoretically possible to me. Because again, like... There isn't the hinge is exotic and it's really nice what they did with the hinge, but beyond that, it's basically like the same materials we've been using for years in phones. It's using a Snapdragon 865. Like I'm trying to figure out where the extra money, if anything, the cameras are less expensive by virtue of the fact there's only one as opposed to like the four sensors in the Galaxy S20 or whatever. So I don't know. We'll see. We will see. And I think uh, ultimately their bill of materials is going to add up to hey, if we only sell 500,000 of these, we're probably going to have to make it up in significant quantity in terms of our price point. But the fact that we are actually talking about a product from Microsoft and it's a phone and not one of their laptops or tablets is probably big enough of a win for Microsoft in and of itself. Keep in mind also they can use this as a Trojan horse where Google can't. And what I mean by that is like Google services are free. They really don't get people to pay for things. Microsoft products are not free. So if they can get people to you know, get a subscription to certain of their products or what have you and use this as a way to get in, then they can use the device not necessarily as a loss leader, but it doesn't necessarily be, need to be expensive because they can make their profits in other ways. Just like, you know, this reminds me a little bit of like their model of the Xbox, right? They can yeah. sell an Xbox at a little bit of a loss because they're getting a licensing fee and they're selling games and they're more service oriented. Whereas Google is not, they profit off of your information and sell it to everyone for that. And that's how they're making their money. But Microsoft does have that in their pocket and that may be one reason, like, cause again, Samsung only gets money off of the hardware. They're not making money off of you ever again. So yeah. it has to be expensive because that's where all their margin is. But Microsoft has other avenues to make money off of people that buy this product. Uh, fair enough. But my question, you're not using Bixby to order stuff? I'm not using Bixby. They're getting rid of the Bixby button. This is fantastic. It's about damn time. Man, Samsung. Who thought well, that? Who we, thought got that a whole, we got a whole podcast uh, and show devoted to Samsung. So if you want that, check that out. Freaking, but, but we didn't talk about Bixby. I'll just say this. Fucking Bixby. <laughs> We're gonna, our next show will be 60 minutes of us just cursing at Bixby. That, that'll be something that the audience can look forward to. So speaking of people who are uh, selling phones as loss leaders and not making any profits and margins, what did we hear about the uh, LG V60? Poor LG. Well, so LG, they've had their struggles. They lost like a huge amount of money in their smart smartphone division when their profits just came out. Um, it looks like this year they may be switching strategies it's, uh, again. It's unclear exactly what they're doing, but again, it looks like the G line of phones, which has existed from the G to the G9, maybe going the way of G9 was the latest G8? Uh, G8. G8, G8, maybe going the way of the Dodo, and there may be no G phone this year. It looks like what they may launch instead is an LG V60 as their early year phone, um, and it looks like they may be making some kind of pivot where like their their V phones, which have been their previous flagships, are going to be the 5G phones. 
Um, so looking at the V60, we, we saw a promo that came out in the last day or two. We've already seen kind of the design that's leaked, and basically imagine a uh, phone with a v- basically all uh, display front with a very tiny notch. It, it looks The notch actually looks a little bit like the notch on the uh, 17 to me is the closest comp. Yeah, maybe. Maybe not quite as waterfall. It's kind of a little more like, you know, it comes straight down, but it's yeah. pretty tiny. But Samsung's going, excuse me, LG's going all in on keeping figures at Samsung figures. Jesus Christ, Sean. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, you guys. Bear with me. Um, they are keeping features that Samsung's getting rid of. So the V60 is rumored to keep the headphone jack, which is a nice thing. Um, they're going all in on the premium sound again, so it'll have the premium DAC. It is going to have a large battery, 5,000 milliamp hour batteries. Ads. Sean's Spring is paying an ad. Unless we're getting paid, turn the sound down, Sean Spring. God, Tech Radar, thank you this for is your like, pop up ads. Oh my God. This is Seriously. like people that go to a movie theater and don't put their phone on mute. That's Sean. He's that guy. Wait, I'm silent. It, wait, is that a thing? Yeah, just, yes. Jesus. Um, but it also looks like it's going to have a 5,000 milliamp hour battery, which is huge. So, like, it looks like what LG and. and Large phone, 6.7 to 6.9 inches. So uh, it's as big as either the S20 Plus or the S20 Ultra, depending on which Mm -hmm. size it comes in as. So when you're looking at hardware, they're not missing much. And in fact, they're actually adding some things over Samsung. I mean, like, look, this thing has quad DAC, still has the headphone jack, 5,000 milliamp hour battery, which is as big as the S20 Ultra. It has uh, four microphones on the front for like better sound quality, I guess. Four channel microphones. Um, it has wireless charging, S865, RAM, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I mean, like, it's competitive from that perspective. I guess the problem for LG has been a fewfold, which is the Samsung phones still look nicer. One, I think that's fair. Um, and they have a their software sucks. It's not great comparatively, like. You know, one UI really took Samsung kind of in a whole different direction, which was not as good still as Google and OnePlus or something like that, but much, much, much faster and a much like, I don't know, what do we call it? Lighter skin comparatively. Yeah, I think that's probably the, the right term to use. And I agree with you. I think that, and we've we've had LG phones in-house for review and we've really, really liked the hardware and we've really, really been meh about the software. One, they've not had a great track record with software updates, even though at the G7 launch event, they said this is something that they were going to commit strongly to going forward. And then they reorganized a division within LG USA to just simply focus on software updates. And so far, <clears throat> haven't seen it. The, the hardware, again, is not really their issue. It's the software. The software, now that Samsung has kind of toned things down with the One UI, really stands out as just garish, bloated, and just it's it's just too much. And I think that in a world where their hardware is not enough of a differentiator, they're really focusing hard on the software experience as being the differentiator. The problem is it's not good. If you're looking at a Pixel device, it's really minimal, it's really clean, and it's easy to find the things that you're looking for. OnePlus, same thing. Their uh, Oxygen OS is really, really light, and it's super fast, amongst the fastest on the market. Samsung's One UI approach has been to basically get rid of a lot of the trash that they had before because people complain so often about it that they're like, eh, you know what we should do? We should probably get our, give our people who are buying our phones the software experience that they want. And quite honestly, most of these other OEMs aren't even in the game, so it doesn't really matter what they do. LG's kind of in this no man's land of they're not competing against the highest end market segment, and they're not bad enough to be in the low end market segment. So much like, and we are often want to do comparisons with the NBA, much like in the NBA, if you're not a championship contender, then you need to bottom out so that you can get some of the benefits from bottoming out. And LG hasn't been able to do that. They've been losing tons of money, but they're still producing premium flagship phones that cost a lot. Like, what is their strategy? Nobody knows. I will say, we've had, as I've mentioned, quite a few LG phones over the years in-house and as review units, and we've really liked them. And what we've also really wanted is for LG to do something with their software and with their pricing and sales strategy that actually makes sense. Will the V60 do that? I don't know. On hardware, on paper, it looks terrific. Whether or not anybody's going to buy this phone depends on pricing and where it's available. And I really hope that LG succeeds. I really do. Because I think that more competition in the marketplace is better for everybody. But they just, 
in the last several years haven't been able to get it together. And I hope that that trend changes with the V60. Yeah, the other issue that they have to contend with is they're really good about throwing hardware in their devices. And what I mean by that is like they were on the forefront of like multiple cameras and having all these cameras. They kind of pioneered the wide angle in some ways. But their software and their actual, the pictures that the devices take are like certainly not class leading. It's kind of, you know, in my mind, it's like Google and uh, Apple are at the top. Samsung's like slightly behind, but may catch up with them with the S20 and then LG and OnePlus have fallen back. And, you know, with the G4, like looking back, that was a phone that really surprised a lot of people. And at the time it was like, this might take the best pictures of any camera on the market. Right. But since this, they subsequently have fallen behind it. It's their processing. It is way, way aggressive and people don't like it. They have the hardware though. So it's like, man, I wish they would just, we talked about this before with LG, put on stock, stock Android, Focus heavily on pulling back the processing on your pictures, which you clearly knew how to do at one point because the G4 took damn good pictures. And really, like, if you keep your prices down because they are less expensive than the Samsungs of the world, it's like, there would be a compelling reason to buy the phones. So it's like you get a giant battery, you get a headphone jack, you get a giant screen, and you get really good cameras and stock Android. If that cost $800 or something, I think that becomes pretty compelling versus both OnePlus and Samsung. But instead, they're kind of in this middle ground where, like, they have semi-competitive hardware, but their pictures aren't quite as... Nothing's ever quite as good. It's like 90% as good in Samsung in a lot of ways, uh, but costs almost the same. It, I, I don't know. They're just at a weird place in the market. Yeah, and it's it's tough because they, they can't keep hemorrhaging the kind of cash in their mobile division that they have been and, and not have somebody take a closer look. Now, LG is a profitable company. They make a ton of other consumer products that they're making money hand over fist on. So it's not like they can overly care. But they're not at the size and scale of Google, where literally their phone business is next to nothing. It's a blip and almost nobody cares. Like Rick Osterloh can keep his job, even though the pixels have been relatively underwhelming ever since launch, ever since the Pixel 1 that kind of took people by surprise. They've been kind of either going sideways or going backwards in terms of what they're offering and from a value proposition standpoint. So it's they're not Google's level where they can just continue to throw money away and not care about it. And they're not so small or so like really bad that they can just be HTC and kind of peace out on the marketplace. So here's to hoping that LG can get some things right with the V60 and get themselves in a position where they can be one of the players again, like they used to be back in the day, because I think they do have a lot to offer. It's just not offered in the right way. Yeah, they need to figure out something fast, though, or they're going to just be done. They'll be HTC. Exactly. So speaking of someone that kind of was done and has made a little bit of a comeback in a big way, let's talk about Motorola. So first up, the Razer has been placed into stores and people have been able to get their hands on it. Sometimes too much of their hands on it. But also we had a little bit of an interesting announcement from them regarding maybe moving forward and getting out of kind of that mid-tier low-end space and possibly producing a flagship phone. What uh, what did Motorola surprise us with? Which one do you want to talk about first? Um, let's talk about the Razer first. Right. Then we can talk about the rumors after. So the Razer got announced, got delayed, and is now out. Um, and I think a lot of people, including myself, saw the announcement in the way that Motorola was handling the folding screen and felt like actually in some ways they had... Uh, exceeded Samsung's designs, Done you know, better, yeah. lower crease, like the crease was a lot less and it seemed like the phone was really well put together. But what we're seeing now is that it's released a few things. Um, first of all, the screen is fragile. The ones on display, we've seen all kinds of horrors of various broken screens. Someone who just tore the screen apart actually at a Walmart. Uh, so look, Display phones are always in some kind of danger because people just treat them like garbage, but it's it's been kind of horrifying to see all the damaged uh, devices. Especially since Motorola made a very specific point at their launch event about, hey, you don't need to baby this phone the way that you needed to baby the Galaxy Fold. Turns out that might have been a little bit of an overstatement on their part. Yeah, also, you can like literally get your fingernail underneath the screen and like lift it pretty high up, which is something that Samsung encountered when they released the Fold to the reviewers when it was broken and then they added those caps that you know in the final release version to prevent that from happening but man you could definitely see debris getting in there big time um other stuff other odds and ends like the battery life is predictably not great because it has a tiny battery it's like 20 i don't know five or six hundred milliamp hour hours 
and people are getting like, you know, three hours of screen on time to four on a good day, which in today's day and age for phones is not great. Not good enough. No. Um, the camera it has proved to be middling kind of as expected. So that has been great. Um, and then also the hinge makes some horrible noises after a few days of use, according to a lot of buyers and reviewers. Now, CNET did their like folding, you know, challenge that they did with the Galaxy Fold where it, I think it lasted like 125,000 folds or something. So it did pretty yeah, well. That's right. This one only made it to 20, what, 27,000, 29,000 yeah, folds. Right. Now yeah. they took it out of the machine and they were actually able to like kind of massage it a little bit and get it working again. But um, I think there's some thought that the hinge may not be quite as robust as Samsung's. Um, actually, the fold hinges have proven to be very much the over-engineered uh, piece of tech that Samsung said they were. That that hasn't been so much of a problem with the fold. So it, it's been kind of, you know, it's out there and it's fine. Performance sounds fine. It's a Snapdragon 710, so it's not cutting edge. And people seem to, you know, overall think it's okay. But for the price, it costs like, what, $1,500 or something. It's like... Yeah, it's just too damn much for the problems that they've seen to have had with it. Now... This is a first-gen product, so we expected that there would be some bumps in the road. No questions. Like, everybody's going to have that issue. Samsung had that issue, and they're a big company. Huawei has had that issue with the Mate X. That damn thing hasn't even come to market yet. The Royale Flex Pie was a cow pie. Like, it just wasn't good. So, I don't think anybody's expecting perfection from a first-generation product, but I definitely don't think that the hype that Motorola put out surrounding this phone is matching at all with the reality of it. That picture in the Walmart actually gave me, like, an anxiety attack. Seeing somebody peel back the plastic in that fashion... I literally almost had like a brain aneurysm because it, it just, it was, it was horrifying. And knowing that Motorola has kind of, I don't necessarily say staked their reputation on this, but they certainly did say like, oh, you're not going to have the problems that the Galaxy Fold had with our phone. And basically just to have the Razor kind of take a gigantic dump. Now, again, these are retail units in stores that are being handled by many, many more people than would handle the actual phone itself. But I think that this is kind of the, the, wild end of an user case that doesn't speak very good for those people who want to get something pretty durable for their $1,500. And it, it's just, it's not anywhere where it needs to be. No, I think this was definitely unquestionably the biggest Motorola phone launch as far as like hype and whatnot in, in years. I can't, I literally can't remember the last Motorola phone that people like, was it like the Droid? Turbo? What was it? X? I don't know. I, I can't even remember. Droid Turbo 2, maybe? Yeah. It, it's been a long time. I can't. I literally cannot remember. So, yeah, I think this was a big deal for them. And the fact that the phone seems to kind of be what you would expect, which is fragile and, like, really mid-range in most things that it does. Uh, poor battery, middling camera. How much is the fashion statement worth to you and the nostalgia value? And Samsung also... The Z Flip looks like a better phone, and it's coming out on everywhere on 214. So it sounds like Samsung, I mean, this is definitely a shot at Motorola because this is going to be out there. And, like, you know, look, we have to see the reviews and we have to see what things look like, but it looks like the Z Flip will have advantages in size of screen, quality of screen, resolution of screen, larger battery, more storage, better processor. When you start saying all those things, like what's <laughs> it's left, of, it's kind of laughable. It's kind actually. of everything. Yeah, when you go down that list, um, it, it really doesn't seem like Motorola did a ton of what they wanted to do with this phone, which is get some good, good quality buzz about it, so that they could, in theory, as we'll talk about next maybe push forward their kind of more premium end phones because they, they do great with mid-tier and low-end phones in terms of like the overseas markets. Like I know Brazil in particular is, is fascinated with Motorola phones and Motorola does great in those markets, but they haven't done well with a niche novelty product uh, in a while. Like their, their mods and stuff were just too limiting in terms of keeping the form factor of the devices too much the same in order to be able to innovate and move things forward. And this is kind of their big take on what innovation looks like for Motorola, and it's kind of a flop. So having said that, I think that that sets up the fact that Motorola absolutely can compete in the high-end space, and it sounds like they might be poised to do so. What did we get about Motorola high-end phones in 2020? Yes, yeah, Samsung. Uh, oh, gosh, darn what? it. I think Samsung, Samsung on the train. They're Motorola. God. They're Samsung. Not Samsung. Uh, yeah. Um, 
Motorola hasn't done flagships in a while. Uh, I think their last flagship-ish was like the Z3. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, so it's been it's been a few years. It looks like they're poised to jump back into that space this year. Um, XDA posted an inter- interesting article. They are. It looks like going to release two high-end phones, so one true flagship and one more of like a mid-range flagship, if you will. Um, these are codenamed Racer and Burton. I like it. Yeah, Racer would be the lower end one, and Burton being the higher end. Um, there's some rumors that they're going to be marketed as the Motorola One 2020 and the Motorola One 5G 2020. Um, <laughs> Great and, names. Yeah, they should stick with Burton and Racer. Actually, uh, <laughs> from a spec standpoint, we're looking at a 6.67 inch 2340 by 1080 curved panel running at 90 hertz refresh rate. Um, and it's going to be like waterfall-esque. I guess it's not going to be as aggressive as some of the other waterfall screens that we've seen. Someone described it as like, I think this is on the XD article, as like 80% waterfall. So more aggressive than the Samsung phones have been, um, Maybe, but maybe slightly less aggressive than it was the Vivo Next 3 that was the most aggressive waterfall, I think. So yeah. Yeah. maybe somewhere a little less than that. Viva Vivo. Um, as far as specs, the Racer has a Snapdragon 765, 6 gig of RAM, 128 gigabytes of storage. Looks like the primary rear camera may be 48 megapixel, and the battery would be 4660mAh, which is good size, especially if it's not 5G. If that's a 4G phone, I would imagine that the battery life on that bad boy would be pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty damn good, um, The larger of the two, the 5G would have the Snapdragon 865 with 8 or 12 gigs of RAM. Um, most of everything else is unknown, but it would be a 5169mAh battery, which is also Boom. fairly massive. Boom. Um, and again, it's rumored to be possibly marketed as the Motorola One 5G 2020, or I guess the Motorola Edge Plus name has been floating around places. Why not One G 2020 Pro Max Plus? I, I actually hate all of those names. Um, <laughs> hard, hard agree right here. Motorola Edge Plus is, what is that telling me as a consumer? And even the Motorola One 5G 2020, like... It's shite. There hasn't been a Motorola One line. It's the One line shite. belonged to HTC, yeah. so it doesn't even make sense. And then 5G 2020, like... Yeah, it's just a lot of letters and numbers that don't mean anything to me and don't tell me that Motorola is really committed to producing a high-end flagship. Now, having said that, you know, there's no hinges, there's no folding, there's no other BS that's going to be associated with it. So Motorola has produced... I want hinges and folding. Give me some BS. I know you do. Freaking boring candy bar phones. With these phones in particular... It could be, because Motorola has made some quality phones in the past, it could be that they are going to be able to produce high-quality phones. Now, in this market, if you're not buying a Pixel, you're pretty much buying a Samsung phone. Or maybe, if you're like us, a OnePlus, if you've heard of them. Fair to say? Yes. Okay. So, And if you're buying an iOS device, you're getting an Apple iPhone. Like, There's just no question. So... Motorola traditionally hasn't had great cameras. They've had exceptional battery life and they've had pretty good quality screens. But the real, and their their software actually has been kind of decent, but they haven't been great with software updates and the mods thing has now gone the way of the Dodo. So there's nothing really to me compelling about about buying a Motorola flagship in 2020 when you have so many other good comparable options. So why Motorola would want to do it at this point in time is really kind of an interesting choice to me. I don't I don't know what their strategy is, but again, they've been kind of exiting this space for a while now, and so it remains to be seen what they can bring as their differentiator, what is what is going to be compelling about a Motorola phone maybe other than competing on price uh, as as compared to a Pixel phone or a Samsung Galaxy phone, which will be you know high-end phones but with high prices, or a OnePlus phone, which will be a relatively high-end phone with a more modest price. So, if they're going to try and jump on the OnePlus bandwagon, get in there in that you know six to seven fifty eight hundred dollars space with this phone, you know then I could maybe see that there's a compelling alternative. Um, but beyond that. Motorola getting into the premium space just doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Okay, so the argument for Motorola would be this. If, and boy, I'm about to list a lot of ifs, if they bring this phone out and it's running the stockish software that they did before, which is kind of akin to like Oxygen OS in some ways, Mm -hmm. and they could somehow have a camera that was 
competitive with the higher end cameras and they release this flagship for something say like $800 or something in that range then maybe and that's a lot of ifs you have something interesting there because you know if, if it was basically a OnePlus 7 Pro but with a better camera and it costs the same which is to say less than Samsung less than Apple you're not going to sell in any massive numbers, but you might be able to get a foothold, right? Because you're at least offering something kind of interesting or a value proposition. But more than likely, what you're going to get is a phone that's expensive, the camera's still middling, much like the One Pluses are, or not flagship competitive anyway. Um, and at that point, it's like, I don't, why do you exist would be the question. Because, you know, again, like, so you have a 90 hertz 1080p screen, right? Meanwhile, One Plus is going to be offering a 1440p 120Hz screen or a 1080p 120Hz screen and everything else the Motorola would be offering. I actually think Oxygen OS is better than stock Android too, so like there's that argument to be made. And it probably would cost more. So I where where does that leave you? I, I don't know. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, man. It, it leaves you with two ifs and a maybe. That's what I counted, I think. If Motorola can get their camera software better, which we've seen no evidence of that, if they can come correct with a um, with a, with a device that has you know quality specs and a good price point, then maybe they'll sell some of them. And that to me adds up to Motorola is kind of in maybe even more trouble than they are right now because right now they haven't wasted a ton of money on producing these phones, and after they do. I don't think that anyone is going to buy them in sufficient quantities to make them want to do it again. I, man, I don't know. They, there's just been no evidence that they are going to make the last smartphone they made that was even like really kind of competitive in any way was like the Moto X probably. And even then it had a really shitty camera relative to everyone else. Very much It so. just had some other things that were in its favor. So I'm kind of like, eh, well, they've never shown that they can before. And there's a lot of good smartphones out there. And we've talked about all the varying price points and, and phones that are available. And it's like, I don't know. Where does it fit in? Don't know. And quite honestly, don't care. Sorry, Motorola. Nay, Aww, Lenovo. Poor Motorola. Not not good enough, and quite honestly, not interesting enough. So, uh, anything else uh, in the rumors or news area before we wrap up? <sighs> no, I think that's pretty much like the main man. Like Mobile World Congress is coming up, which is usually like leak central, and there's MWC? been a lot of leaks. But because of the coronavirus, it looks like there's going to be no one actually showing anything. That's the rumor, yeah. So, I, like, it's kind of a weird season. I wonder if they'll each do kind of their own. Samsung's doing their own press conference. I don't know if ever or their own like event. Actually, I don't. I don't know if everyone else will because otherwise, it's. I don't know. This is going to be a really weird Mobile World Congress. It is, and probably for the first time in a long time, I think most people are going to take a pass and that means that we're going to get some surprises kind of out of the blue but we'll talk about the MWC stuff after the event has actually happened so you're assuming coronavirus hasn't wiped everyone out at that point too fair enough we're all still here yeah I mean I'll say this if the zombie apocalypse does come then at least I'll have a better camera than a Motorola phone to take pictures of it with I'm buying a fold if that happens just say I had one before we all died I like it. Let's go there. <laughs> you you buy a fold and a Surface Duo, and um, and I'll laugh, and we'll call it a day. I mean, seems fair. Not wrong. So <laughs> that's the show for today. Thanks again for listening. Remember, if you enjoy check, enjoy check. I don't. If you enjoy checks, then let us know. Like checks mix. Exactly. I don't enjoy it that much. <laughs> Me either. Tier two snack. Boom. If you enjoy tech and you enjoyed the show, tell a friend. Make sure that you subscribe or follow us on all of the various platforms, social and otherwise. And remember, as always, we will talk tech soon. Thanks, everybody.